0: we want to be able to have words because words are like ways we move energy. And if you have to sit in that feeling, it's so uncomfortable because it's disassociative. Like Mm. you're sitting in an emotion that you like refuse to associate with for so long. It's just been sitting in your body. And the second you hit it, that level of residence will fuck you up. Like, and we know this because of psychedelics,
1: right? Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we are back. What's up everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Hope you guys are having a great day today. My next guest is the co-founder of the Alphas Project, and she's a relationship coach. Adrienne Ellison hosts retreat experiences, as well as one-on-one coaching around self-healing practices, whether you're healing your relationship with yourself or the people around you. She's an expert at this. She's been helping a lot of people. She puts on some amazing retreats. So I highly suggest, after this conversation, checking her out. And we had a, just an, a great conversation and I felt blessed to have her on the show. She's a powerful human and she's, she's doing the work. She's done a lot of work in her own life. She's had a big transformation and now she's here to talk about it. So you guys enjoy this. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple. Leave us a review if you get value. And as always, enjoy the show. Adrian Ellison coming right up. And we're on. Adrian, how you doing?
0: I'm doing so
1: good. How are you? <laughs> so good. I wanted to make sure that we hit play or hit record before we got all the good stuff out yeah. and I didn't record it. So I'm really excited. This is our second time having like this kind of call. I remember we had one a while back kind of getting to know each other mm-hmm. because within this fit for service family there's a lot of humans, a lot of dynamic and it's hard to have that one-on-one space with with everybody. So I'm grateful that we got to have that. So thank you for coming on the show.
0: Absolutely. I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So let's just address lately has been the theme in the world. What's going on in your life right now? How has all this craziness affected you? Because what's really interesting to me is that like everybody's got, everywhere in the world is doing this differently and everybody's reacting differently depending on the rules and regulations that are in your environment and how you're responding. So how has it been for sensitive. you? Sensitive. It's a sensitive
0: yeah. subject. Yeah, very. Um, this has been a really beautiful season for me to practice what I preach. Uh, I have been able to really have to go inward and to understand not only like my own experiences and the perceptions I have, but like the other people. There's so many people that are deeply thrown back into survival, and I work in like the trauma healing space, so it's like. You can talk about survival all day long and you you know you've got clients here and there that are in survival, but for the most part, most of us as adults are in a phase of reconciliation, which is like what happens when you go through trauma as a child is like if you grow up and you get out of the environment where you were constantly looking to survive, now you're looking to reconcile. And a lot of people are now being thrown back into that survival and maybe they're even with the family members that, that did that or you know for financial reasons or whatever. And the thing that I always am like preaching and learning and I'm preaching it because I'm literally like, it's like I'm preaching to myself um, is like to stay in my lane and to like not look over at my neighbor's backyard when my backyard is filthy and it needs to be cleaned up. And so what I've been trying to do is understand that like when this all goes down, this is when all of our need to like serve other people and the problem with like service and what we know from fit for service is like service is it, sometimes it looks like service and it's almost never service. And that's like people pleasing. And that's like anytime that you're serving someone from a space that you're hoping to be validated or you're so somehow we're hoping to be rewarded. That's not service. That's, an agenda, right? And so I've been able to see so clearly where I have agendas through social media, through the things I'm trying to post. And I just got really clear on it within the very first week of quarantine. And I was able to do a lot of that inner work. And so what I've been able to do is just to work on my own landscape of my backyard, taking out my own trash, um, you know, re-soiling the garden, like getting the things pulled up, the weeds that were like half-truths, things that were Kind of just overgrown and not really doing uh, me any service, and then just replanting where I wanted things to to start growing and flourishing. And it's it's been honestly one of the best seasons of my entire life.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting, and you're that's such a it's such a good analogy because how you take care of your own your own space, your own life is how you're going to see life through your lens, right? If everything is foggy you're going to see fogginess you're going to see you're going to get lost in this craziness because you're 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 crazy inside like you haven't dealt with this stuff and i think a lot of people that haven't had the tools or any work or any done any of that cleanup have been really struggling with this stuff because oh, yeah. it's been the first time where they're actually having to slow down and say whoa what's going on i can't can't be constantly distracted by doing all the time you know,
0: it's like a magnifying glass of helplessness kind of everywhere. (laughs) Like I'm, I have no idea what to do or how to do it. And like, it's heavy.
1: Yeah. It's been, it's been interesting. So as far as like, how would you like, how have you grown during this? Like what, what are some of the things that you have specifically like worked on though, that have like, that you've been able to sort of Tangibly, you could say like during this quarantine, this is what I did. Like, what are some (laughs) things like that? Because I know you've been working on a lot of shit, so it's always nice to reflect on. Wow, like I've created a lot in the last couple months.
0: Yeah, I have created a lot in the last couple months, and I remember the first week of quarantine, and I most of my businesses ran through social media, and I'm not necessarily an influencer by any means. I have like 5,000 followers, but I have a very loyal community, like people that um I really do a lot of business through Instagram. I get a lot of clients through there. And I just remember the first week of quarantine being like, oh my God, everyone's posting and people are like giving free things away. And like I was looking at how other people were serving and I was like, I need to serve in this way. And I got like so pent up about how like my thing is service. I'm always serving and like I can't figure out how to serve right now. And I like was really freaking out and it was so uncomfortable. And then I really just spent a lot of time in that space and figured it out and I actually did where for like a whole week I just like didn't post anything and anytime I felt like posting I would write it down and I would go back and reread it and it would be like for all the wrong reasons, like the wrong energy for why I was trying to post and I just kind of paid attention to it. I just have observed myself under a magnifying glass. the way that other people are triggered around you will really stimulate like your own wounding and like either wounding that you're just like so unattracted from other people of like, Ooh, like that's really not attractive. Um, what, which is ultimately like your own judgment of how you would perceive yourself if you had the same wound or you have people who are acting out in ways that are like, if somebody else is like, If they grew up in a very unstable environment and then this all of a sudden hit and they're like feeling, you know, the soil coming up and they're just like, ah, I don't really know how to deal with this. Or you have some people who like thrive in chaos, which pretty much is me. And then this period of life can be like actually much more comfortable than other periods of life. And so I've just been observing my community. I've been observing how I'm engaging with them. And then, like I said, like observing how easy it is to be a rescuer of everyone else's life, but your own. And that has definitely been like the biggest medicine for me is to step back and to realize that if I have a dirty backyard, I really shouldn't be helping my neighbor clean up theirs. And if my backyard is really dirty, I definitely shouldn't be helping my block clean up. And if my na- if my backyard's dirty, I should definitely not be helping my city clean up. And when I say helping, like people have this interpretation that like help is somehow like you have to go out and you have to like give all of yourself to someone and like sacrifice yourself and do all these things. And. Honestly, like I really understand the way that service works. I deeply serve people on a daily basis and I serve them from a place of like my cup is so full and I just like take this, take some of this for yourself. I can replenish it over here. And like that is truly like what it means to be fit for service, which is how you and I met. It's like really getting clear on the reasons why you're out in the world doing the things you're doing. And so it's not that you can't help other people or that you shouldn't help other people. It's that if you can't help yourself, you really can't help other people. Like it's, you just, you can't like, that's how it works. And it's a, this is a huge magnifying glass of how much we don't take care of ourselves until the whole world's gone to shit. And everybody's like, well, how do I go out and help? Like, how do I help? How do I help? And it's like the whole world wouldn't have gone to shit if every single person was like reflecting back on their own stuff and like doing their inner work and like taking the time to do that. And I do understand that not everybody is in an environment to be Mm -hmm. able to do inner work safely that is a separate conversation. The conversation is that all the people who are in a safe environment to be doing their work and are conscious that they need to be doing their work are the ones that could have really impacted this in such a major way and actually are impacting it you know, to, to a certain degree. And for those people that are like in really traumatic environments that are like doing inner work is not safe for them to do whatsoever. It's like, we don't need them trying to serve the world either. We just need them trying to do the best that they can and us doing the best that we can. And then when we have an overflow of our cup and we have the space for them, then we can start reaching out and we can now move out of our lane into another lane because our lane is like squeaky clean and very efficient and thriving.
1: What do you see as being an issue with people mostly though? Like what, where where are people struggling? Is it trauma? Is it lack of belief? Like where do you see the people that you come in contact with in general? Like where are people struggling?
0: During the pandemic or just all the time?
1: Just, well, yeah. Like where do you really see in general, but where have you kind of seen as like a spotlight? Like, wow, people like where, where, where where do you, what do you see as like a common thing within people?
0: I mean, I think across the board, the most common thing I see is self-sabotage, which is like Mm. pretty vague and ambiguous, but Um, A lot of people being like, I just don't like, they have all this space now where we're we're going to work. We're working our nine to fives. We're doing the, the, you know, the, the social thing where it's like, we're pretty much bred to work in factories and to go to school and to raise our hands and do all these things. And all of a sudden the world comes to a screeching halt and actually none of that stuff even makes sense. It doesn't matter anymore. Nobody's living by it. It's literally like the world is like a blank slate in certain ways where we could actually interpret it however we want to, and then start changing systems. And it's like, people have no idea what to do because they're so used to being told what to do. And Mm. our creativity now is like starting to come out and it feels very unstable. And so you have people who are like actually deep creators that had enough space during this time. I actually experienced this myself. I've talked to a lot of creators lately and it's like, Well, what happened is I've always been a creator, like an artist, which means I need a lot of space and time to cultivate. And the creative process is very fluid. It's very feminine. There's no end game. It's not linear. And, you know, you step out and now all these artists have like all this space to create art and to do whatever they want to do. And like, maybe they're still working, but it's like they're working in a space. And again, I'm not talking about, I, I don't, I'm not the demographic of people who is at home with a bunch of children in a really toxic environment where I don't have space to thrive and do those things. I cannot speak on the behalf of those people. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of stuff going on right now on social media where there's like these people that are advocating against like, how dare you say to do your inner work? Like some people are just trying to survive and it's like, 100% this is not, this podcast is not for that person. The podcast for that person is like, how do you create any kind of stability in your life so that you can wake up every day and just feel like you're going to be okay? And how do you get connected to your breath? And like, that's the podcast for them. This, what I'm speaking of is my own personal relevance and my own personal resonance on, like being a creator in a pretty healthy environment where I make my own schedule. And I was already kind of a little bit remote out in the world, but I was still living by the structures of other people's work schedules. And then all of a sudden there is no structure. There is no really like timeline. And I'm starting to see a lot of the people in my community that are like, I don't want to go back to work. Like I cannot (laughs) go back. I literally cannot go back to doing what I was doing. What am I going to do? I'm just having a hard time. Like even understanding like how I even did that for all those years. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah.
1: That the, the quietness of it is to, people to take a step back and be like, "What? Like, how do I go back?" Like, people are going to be like, "I miss quarantine." <laughs> people going to yes. be people are going to be talking about that, but there's going to be a lot of people that have created some like really cool shit out of this time too. A lot of people wasted time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of relationships. A lot of
0: people's situations got a lot worse than, than yeah. what they already were. And again, yeah. like, I don't, I can't speak for that scenario. Yeah. Only this one.
1: For sure. For sure. And a lot of people, people's got better too. Relationships got clear, good and bad, you know? Oh, yeah. And, you know, for me, it's just been interesting to hear these different perspectives, right? Because it's all medicine for me. It's all, it's all learning and observing. So it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely something that we're going to look back and we'll be able to be like, that was before, before COVID, after COVID, it's always going to be like that, that sort of that, um, that place that we, we look back and, and sort of reference to, right? Totally. So as far as, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's, let's, I want to kind of walk through what it was like for you growing up. Maybe like walk us through uh, Adrian growing up and maybe out of that time, what was the biggest challenge or struggle you faced that now you can say had the most impact on your life?
0: I think the two struggles that I grew up with, I've done obviously a lot of work on this specifics. I know kind of my inner child really well is that um, my inner child is very controlling just to show I have like betrayal wounds. I was adopted. So there's a lot of things like with my lineage that I don't even fully understand, but I know kind of the dynamic that my biological mother and father had together. And there's like some betrayal stuff that was, that happened before I was even born. And then obviously I want a mother gives up her baby for adoption, there's going to be feelings of abandonment. Um, and so I think like that, and then mixed with what I experienced through my parents who adopted me that I, that I grew up with, my parents. I definitely was very controlling as a child. I was very loud. I was very like, I had a lot of leadership qualities, but really just came off as very bossy. And I had this dynamic with my dad where I really knew how to receive love from him and validation from him, which was through conflict. And so I'm very much a product of like, let's conflict it out because I know for a fact that when you ha- go through conflict, there's this beautiful thing at the end where it's it's resolution and I can count on that process so well. Whereas like my relationship with my mom was more based around, I always felt like a burden to her. I never understood, like it was never consistent. The cycle with my dad was super consistent. We would fight and then he would come and he would say, I'm so sorry. And then he would love me and it would feel like very, very easy, you know? And then with my mom, it was like, there was, she was very emotional because she's also a feminine woman. Um, and I always just felt like I was such a burden to her. Like I was just too loud, too difficult to this, to that. And that really created a complete, and I always felt that way about my sister and it created like a divide between me and women as a whole. And so I grew up in most of my life until I was really like 26, 27, I was very controlling and, I felt like um, women wouldn't understand me. So I just was surrounded by men all the time. And because I was so controlling, I really learned a lot of my mechanisms through being friends with men. So it was like I had this really intense masculine energy that was really an external projection of like how unstable I felt um, with my feminine energy inside myself. And that's probably the thing that most people from my past would be like, yeah, and that caused a lot of, con- I mean, a lot of conflict. Like I said, I got into a lot of physical fistfights. I did a lot of drinking, some drugs, partying really early, like stealing things, and you know, drinking, going out on dirt roads, like just kind of complete anarchy for the most um, part.
1: Well, I mean, that's also normal too, growing up, right? I mean, we all do that shit. Like, sure. <laughs> I don't know if it. Not would- the people pleasers.
0: They didn't do that shit.
1: <laughs> well, you know what's funny is like a lot of them will do it later on. For sure. The people that didn't do it younger, they'll end up, those are the ones that most times that I've seen, they don't do any of that in high school. They get married at 19 or 20 and then they end up divorced in their 30s and they're at the bar 30, 40 doing this stuff. Especially when I was working in the bars, I saw it. I saw these guys getting divorced at 35, 40 and they're just, and women too, they're exploring all the shit they never did when they were young, right? It's crazy. Bye.
0: And it's like, that's that reconciliation phase. It's like, I yeah. did all these things and people pleased in order to receive love and validation. And I never truly felt loved and validated. So fuck it. <laughs>
1: I'm going to do yeah.
0: the complete opposite of that, which is like when the pendulum you know, swings.
1: Totally. And, and you know, d- going by society's rules of, I got to get married by this time. And I got to please this person. And I got to do that. That wears on you. Like so much, so much people pleasing so mm-hmm. much. And we've all been victim to it. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy how most people don't make the decisions in their life based on them. It's always about somebody else. Totally. You know, like it's, it's really crazy.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, trauma as a whole shows up in so many ways. I mean, we're just scratching the surface. Like you're seeing yeah. people post about it on social media, but like what we're looking at is like the, the, the trillions, if not more, whatever that number is that we can't conceptualize, fractals. Mm -hmm. of how perception can show up like the the unlimited lenses which is like it's it's teaching us literally about the concept of god and how every single thing is like just a fractal of like whatever that full thing that we're trying to experience that full source that full creation like god whatever that is like we're all experiencing one i'm a fractal and then i have a trillion different fractals inside of me which are the ways that i show up and then the way that i show up because of somebody else's fractals and it's just like you know it's a kaleidoscope Mm. And the pandemic was like a kaleidoscope with a magnifying glass on top of it.
1: Yeah. If you had to describe what trauma is, what is it to you? Like, And you talk about how dealing with it in the three-dimensional way is never enough.
0: Yeah.
1: How Walk us through that because I find that really interesting, just the way you worded that. Because that, just so you guys know, I get people to send in Certain I send them questions. I don't always tap into the questions, but like I like to get an idea and when I see one that I like, that I'm just like boom, I gotta bring that up. So yeah. I um it's such a forward.
0: hard thing to conceptualize and I spend yeah. so much time in my brain <laughs> trying to. But the way that I see it is like, you know, imagine that like you show up. Like you, you have this experience in life where you're, you're born and you have a parent like, right. So Mm -hmm. say you have two parents and one of your parents is like your main caretaker and you really love that parent because, well, you don't know that there's anybody else out there. So love is relative to the only thing you know. And so what happens is then maybe you start to see your father compared to your mother. And that contrast is actually what provides the ability for us to have perception and like to have an experience because without it, we only know one thing. It's like somebody that you, you, people always ask like, Oh my God, how could you have grown up in a cult and not knew it was a cult? It's like, I've never seen anything different. I had no contrast. And so this idea of trauma is like once contrast comes in, now we have this comparison that comes in of like, Oh, I didn't know that you loved me less because I had to have somebody love me more in order for me to love you less. And we come in with wounding. I don't really know how it works. Like we come to this planet with it, maybe, you know, where we get it from our parents. There's like so many different theories. And honestly, I'm not going to try to get lost in the sauce of like (laughs) where the wounding came from. The fact is that it's fucking here and we're just projecting it all over the place. And so the way that I see it is like when that contrast comes in, now all of a sudden you have this ability to see the discrepancy between what that is. And we're looking for this idea that I believe trauma is like, is literally just overall, if you were to put it in one blanket statement is like, how we are trying to understand why we're not worthy. And trauma is, as a whole, just the idea in itself that we're not worthy. And the second that that is what we're born with, we will always have trauma because we will prove through confirmation bias and through contrast that we are somehow not worthy. And until we can heal that, we're just going to continue to have different lenses that we get. And we get those lenses by, okay, you're my mom. I come to this world. I don't feel like I'm worthy. I love you. And I'm hoping that you love me. And then all of a sudden another person comes in and I'm like, well, wait a second. Like I thought this person loved me, but this person loves me more. That means that I'm less worthy to this person than this person. Well, then, you know, you have siblings and you have, it's not just your. It's not just people that show you that different aspect. It's everything, like every single thing. Social media, like, is, is a great example of like a mirror that literally shows you how you have how you perceive things, and so trauma is is really just like. Something that happens to you where you have to create a story around why it happened to you Mm -hmm. and just being attached to needing to know like why and to be able to like survive it or Reconcile it or you know, whatever that whatever that desire is to feel validated and loved and to feel worthy So that's like I mean, yeah There's lots of definitions of trauma that you can look up but that's the way that I kind of conceptualize it for myself and when I'm building workshops is like I know every single person in this room might feel worthy with some people, but there's at least some people in your life you don't feel worthy with, which means that if you don't feel worthy even with one person, it's not about the people, it's about that you don't feel worthy. Uh. And that's the only thing that matters in there. And we get so distracted because of the comparison and our ability to attach on to the stories about why we're less worthy with this or why we're more worthy or what would make us more worthy. And if you just scraped all that shit away, the underlying thing is that you don't feel worthy. And it doesn't matter what makes you feel more or less worthy. Those are just words that just add on top of the fact that like the underlying energy is that like, I don't feel worthy.
1: Mm. What about if you feel triggered from people? Would that be addressing a trauma? Do you do you think? Or is that... because? I know that when you get triggered by people, it's a reflection of something that you need to address within. Totally. It's just a matter of like, is that trauma or is that, what is that?
0: Well, I just think like the word trauma is getting like, it's so casually thrown around and then like, you know, in psychiatry, it's like capital T trauma, lowercase T trauma. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it, that word in itself has a whole bunch of mirrors to it. And the way that somebody <laughs> says the word trauma tells you what their relationship is with the trauma.
1: story, the story yeah, that they have. like yeah, for yeah. me,
0: like I can, you know, I, I have right now I'm working on treating a whole bunch of women that have had like sexual trauma. And what I'm finding is the vastness and the, and the varying degrees of what sexual trauma is. Like there can be somebody who just walked outside in their, in their underwear and their dad saw them for the first time and they were hu- like humiliated by that and then they ran back in their room and now they're 60 years old and like sometimes when they close their eyes, that's what they remember and they're just mm. like, ah, oh, that really fucked me up and, it, and I've carried shame ever since then. And mm. it's like, that's sexual trauma. Sexual trauma can also be you like giving consent to your partner, but at the same time, your partner is also not experiencing like that your body was consensual with you. Oh and God. so it's this idea that like, if I give you consent, but like my physical body is not in consent with what's going on, then all of a sudden, like it can be sexual trauma. And then the same thing with the idea of like, if you've actually had somebody non-consensually do something to your body, then that's obviously sexual trauma as well. Mm. And so you can see that there's like all these different varying degrees of how this can happen. And it just becomes like so difficult for people to say, oh, I've had sexual trauma because you have somebody next to you that's like, no i have had yeah. sexual trauma and it's like it doesn't really matter uh yeah what, you know do you, do you understand what i'm saying totally like, yeah
1: trauma is it's like an, an imprint in your psyche with an emotional attachment to it you know yeah. and it's like you you there there may be things that may not been a massive event like sometimes we think they need to be these extraordinary crazy things that are going to create trauma but it can be something that may not seem like a big deal but it emotionally affected you so that you were so like you got embarrassed so badly or somebody like made you like made yeah. fun of you in front of people you cared about and that feeling that you got was so imprinted in your psyche that you never want to feel like that again it may have seemed that's the
0: perception yeah yeah
1: to others what you got trauma from that but like you may go through something crazy and it not even really affect you like you would think it would but it's like That's what I'm noticing too. And now, when I get it out on paper, when I'm journaling and stuff, I'm like, "Oh shit!" Like, I think it's something that really just affected me because I was a sensitive kid, and something that made me embarrassed. That like, but we sometimes we're looking for these big events. Like, why do I have this? And it's not always that.
0: No, it's not at all. I mean, yeah, I like I I talk to people all the time. Like, there's somebody who's like, "Oh, I I had this." Situation where I was in the crib with my twin sister and we were both crying and my mom came and picked me up instead of her and At that point I recognized that when my needs were met that would mean another person's oh. weren't met. That's fucking trauma Well, oh, that's crazy people pleasing and like yeah. it's beautiful like it's it's yeah. a masterpiece how It doesn't really matter what happens and then you have other people who you know if you think about it like if you have somebody who, who walks into a room and just starts yelling right And like, if I'm, if I'm the kind of person that I'm just like, huh, the person's really upset. Like I, that wasn't a traumatic experience for me, but if there's somebody else who's like, oh my God, like what is wrong with that person? Like, did I do something like to upset them and like what's going on? And like your perception is that like somehow it was your fault, then you're like reliving trauma that you already had. And for the most part, like we're reliving things that were already set in stone when we were like so little.
1: Yeah. Or you go back to seeing life through the lens of that person at that moment. You know, like there's, yeah, there's specific things and it's so crazy because it doesn't go away. And you'll continue to go back to looking at life from that child. Like this is why the inner child work, even though you're an adult in this particular situation, you may very well go back to that little boy or little girl and look at life through that moment when it comes to that situation. And it's, it's so fascinating to me because like this stuff is so new as far as like dealing with this stuff on this level within the last year or so. And once you can face that and understand that, like things just become lighter. And it's yeah. like such a beautiful feeling of like, ah, oh, I addressed that and I, I worked through it through journaling and, and, and meditation and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, inner child work is like one of the biggest things that I do with my people. Like in my mastermind right now, we're going through our whole first quarter, which is just like understanding the inner child and the separation that we have from them. And it's like, it's super easy as an adult to look back at a memory and be like, like, I have, a, I have this really interesting memory from when I was like two or three years old, where I actually hit my sister when she was in the bathtub. And when my dad came in and was like, what happened? I lied. And I said, she hit me and she got spanked for it. And it's like, That's like that's literally a memory that I tease my sister about all the time. I'm like, do you remember that one time? And it's like, as an adult, it's pretty funny. And it's also like, damn, that was fucked up. But if I go back in time and I sit in the embodiment and the energy and the like understanding and the intelligence of a two year old, do you think it was funny? Like, no. It was fucked up and I didn't even have a vocabulary for it. And that's why as adults, as we're older, we're looking for this vocabulary that we never even had. So like you can go and put all the words that you want to, to it and journaling can be really helpful. But the truth of it is if you can't find that emotion and embody that emotion, what you're doing is putting words to energy that the child doesn't understand. The child wants to Mm. feel that feeling and to understand that feeling, not to understand the like vast vocabulary that you have about like how trauma works and like your perceptions and like, you know what I'm saying? So like a, yeah. like a child that was abandoned when they were little, do you think that they sat there and they were like, oh my God, I'm being abandoned. No. Like That's not the way that they're, that they're thinking. Their brain is like, I'm gonna be alone forever. How, like, and it's not even that they have that, that vocabulary. Like if they're one years old, they didn't even have that vocabulary. So how do you connect to an inner child that doesn't even have words, it's never even spoken before, to help them resonate with the feeling that they thought they were gonna be alone forever? Mm. And the way that it's like, how, if I were to say, like, hey, could you do me a favor and explain to me what salt tastes like? Salty. (laughs) Salty. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's salty. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a vocabulary for it. There's not one. Yeah. And it just becomes like that. That's that's the inner child. The inner child experienced salt and never had a vocabulary for it. It has
1: nothing to compare it to.
0: And then it like grows up and it's like, oh, it's this like, flavor that when it touches your tongue it's like this this and this and the little kids just like I don't resonate with that and so then we just spend all of our time talking about these things that happened to us but never really hitting the truth of what that felt like and so I have this one like crazy practice that we do where we um I have everybody write their stories out and then I have them identify which version of a story are you telling are you telling the story that's like me like I'm a storyteller so like There's exaggeration and I'm moving energy and the inflection of my voice is perfect because I want it to land with my audience. I want it to really mean something. I want people to feel it. Like that's not a story for me, that's for you. Mm -hmm. And then you have the story of somebody who has like a lot of trauma, you know, capital T trauma. And when they're telling you the story, they just don't want to burden you with the details because they feel like, you know, they were dismissed when they were younger about the severity of it. And so they're just like, yeah, you know, it was it was a difficult time. It's like in neither one of those stories did the inner child feel seen or heard. And so I have them do the story where they break it down and they're only allowed to use like, 10 sentences to describe their childhood and they can't use any vocabulary based on that age that wouldn't make sense and you're just looking for the truth of it and the idea is that you can actually tell the entire story of your inner child without any words you can do it with facial expressions with your hands with your body and with sounds Mm. and it's so hard for people to get into it because we want to be able to have words because words are like ways we move energy. And if you have to sit in that feeling, it's so uncomfortable because it's disassociative. Like mm. you're sitting in an emotion that you like refuse to associate with for so long. It's just been sitting in your body. And the second you hit it, that level of resonance will fuck you up. Like, and we know this because of psychedelics, mm. right? You go into Aya and you've come across a memory and then you're shaking, vomiting and crying for the rest of the night. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That resonance that you can find by doing these types of practices. When you take away our human need to like have perfect words for something and like have a perfect story or like whatever that, whatever your ego is attached to, or have like a less of a story. Mm. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, totally. And just so you guys know, I, uh, ayahuasca, If you guys didn't know the, the, cause she, most of you know, but I just like to give context in case you don't know what Aya is shortened. Um, so where was I going to go with that? Oh, yeah, so okay, so say somebody is kind of new to this you know our you know the conversations we have are within our group too, as I realize that it's a lot further ahead than most a lot of people are are kind of we assume everybody knows about this stuff, so It's like, it's sometimes I I forget and I'm like, oh shit, I want to bring it down a little bit. Just so people that are just getting into this world don't get like overwhelmed. But as far as...
0: Well, by the way, that's most of my community.
1: Yeah, no, for
0: sure. And my job is literally to provide a vocabulary for concepts and Mm. experiences that they've had that they've never been able to find words for. So totally aligned with that.
1: I love that. And that's so important because you know getting bridging the gap from like mainstream trauma take these pills to like healing and like it takes a little bit of like cuz it's it can be intimidating right you start talking about this stuff and bringing shit up and you know if you want to go the psychedelic route there's so many limited beliefs around about that it's like it's got to be the right delivery from somebody and i think like you're really good at that at this you got to have the softness to you as well as far as like and being able to, you know, have the power to get through to people also. Right. But it's like, it's, I can only speak for myself. Like that's why I I could really relate when I got into kind of this stuff is, was Aubrey because Aubrey has this, like, he's able to explain these like complex topics that I probably wouldn't have listened to if somebody else was talking about them, but because of his nature and because of his softness, yet masculine energy i was like oh shit i like this guy i like listening to him so it opens up the door for me to want to listen more to other stuff which allows it you know so allows people to sort of get more excited about these kind of topics but it really depends on the delivery on of, of like who's delivering it to you as well you know
0: absolutely like
1: how you resonate and how it makes you feel because there's a lot of people out there that fuck people up with how they deliver you know
0: yeah, and I mean that's that's the thing, and like I think Tony Robbins is a great example of somebody who does such a good job of delivering things to the masculine world. But if you have somebody uh, in there that's, that's good really deeply working on like their relationship with femininity,
1: it's a great point, by the way.
0: It's it's tricky, you know, and it's like I I love Tony Robbins. I've learned yeah. so much stuff from yeah. him, and then I got to a place where my masculinity was solid, and I understood the fucking grind, and like wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and like, you know, do yeah. the things that you need to do and like call upon that warrior inside yourself. And then the, the, the truth of it was, is I didn't need to call upon the warrior inside of myself. I needed to call upon the nurturer inside of myself. Mm. That was my missing piece. Right. And the yeah. nurturer, by the way, is, is not weak. It's soft, but it is fucking, it's so, it's so malleable that it's like unbreakable, you yeah. know, and, and the things in the masculine world, 100% are breakable. Every single piece of it is in some form.
1: Yeah. Oh, That's such a good point because I love Tony as well, but you're right. He's very, it's very masculine. It's very like, yeah. and, and I think take away from him there's a place for, her. we, we all need both, right? Like, Absolutely. it's just like people that hustle all the time and have no real, no, like they think that hustle is all, all that you're going to get from success is like, go, go, go Gary Vee, which is great. Like, again, Aubrey talks there's about yeah. this. It's like, there's a balance. You got to have the work. You got to have that strong masculine but you got to have you got to know how to be soft too. You got to know how to meditate and and have the feminine side, the yogas, because all that's going to do is is allow you to be better at what you're actually trying to do. Totally. Like it's it's just making you more of a well-rounded human. And yeah, the
0: way that I explain it is like masculinity is when you practice masculine concepts, you build capacity in the physical world to be able to do more, be more like To like, you know, increase your ability to take more money, to do more hours in a day, to like physically have your body go through things. But the feminine process is to increase more space, which Mm. is like the ability to sit in the spaces in between when you're building the capacity because otherwise you get to where you have more capacity and you never have the time to surrender, to practice gratitude, to enjoy it, to be present. And so it's just a constantly that grind. And like, that's most of the men that I know is like, by the time that you're about to finish something, there is no celebration. It's already on to like the next thing. And they're just constantly perpetuating this need to like prove that they're doing something. And it's like, what what are you chasing? And they're chasing pleasure and they're chasing joy and they're chasing like love and like excitement. And then they never get to it because they never understand how to increase the space in between on their journey of capacity.
1: Uh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's um, that celebrating the little small wins along the way is so important.
0: It is important. And by the way, if you can't celebrate, like You can have all the money in the world, but you are in scarcity because if you believe that if you stop for one second, that your world is going to fall apart and you are no longer abundant, you are 100% scarce. And I know so many people with money, so many people with money that are so fucking scarce. And it's like, you know, I know people that don't have that much money that are super abundant. And it just depends on that, you know, again, that space in between. And I know other people who would be a lot more abundant if they would spend a little bit more time feeling abundant or a little bit less time feeling abundant. You know what I mean? Like they're just yeah. like life is abundant and I'm feminine and I'm in my practice and everything's good. And, but, oh, I probably do need to maybe work, you know, more hours a day. And I would say I struggle with that balance here and there. I'm usually like either really deeply in my masculine or very deeply in my feminine and I don't judge myself for usually where I'm at. I just use it as a metric, and I just have a lot of different pillars in my life that will shed light on which one I'm like overindulging in. If that
1: makes mm, sense. Yeah, totally. If so, I just want to go back to the trauma stuff for a second because that's I kind of forgot what I was going to say before. <laughs> it tends to happen. I go off on tangents, and uh,
0: I was talking about psychedelics being like. How you can really get to that inner child, visceral yeah. experience?
1: Oh yeah! What I was gonna ask you, perfect, thank you. Is that how does somebody discover their trauma by, like, say they're like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm waking up to this stuff. I know there's something not right there. There's something going on because of what I'm hearing. I'm, I have these habits. I'm doing this. I'm gravitating toward this. Why? How does somebody discover that trauma? Like, you know, what are some things that we can do to kind of maybe at least start the path to like figuring out what that is.
0: Yeah. I think there's so many different ways. Like the way of the world is like, you're either going to go inward, which is like not very common. You're either going to go inward and you're going to discover so many things about yourself. And in that discovery process, then you learn that other things about other people, because you're like, Oh, there's other people that have experienced this. But most of us go external. And that means like listening to other people's stories. You know, like my mastermind group, I have a whole bunch of people that when they first got into it, there's like 34 people in there. And every single, like, I would say, like, at least six people were like, hey, it's like, I want to be a part of the group, but I'm probably never going to share. My story's like, it's a lot. And I just, like, don't want to burden people with it. And I'm not ready to share it yet. And, like, I just don't know that I'll ever be ready to share it. And then the first fucking call that we did, I let everybody talk about why they were there and the things that they experienced when they were younger and how they think it's affecting them. And afterwards, every single person that had said that was like, holy fucking shit. Like, all of these people have been through those things. like." I relate to so much of that. Like I experienced that this person's story was worse than mine. Like, again, it provides contrast. And so I think it goes back to the same thing as like, if you think that you're the dirtiest person on the planet and like, that's how you feel about yourself. Like that will be what you carry until you meet another dirty person. And then instead of being like, oh, that person's so dirty, because that's the unconscious way, right? The unconscious way is a dirty person calling another person dirty. When you start to wake up and you start to recognize your own filth, and your, and I use the word filth just because yeah. that's a yeah. magn, magnified version of like what nobody wants to be but I don't actually think people are filthy. I think we perceive that we are. So once you feel your own filth, you're like, oh fuck, like this is so dirty, Like I don't wanna be in this. And then you see another person that's in it and all of a sudden you like, have more compassion and more understanding and maybe even find them endearing.
1: Mm-hmm. And now
0: you have contrast, you're like, oh, Like that person's actually dirtier or filthier or has like a more trauma or blah, blah, blah. And somehow I just feel like one, grateful for them. Thank you so much for, I'm not alone. Right. And then two, like, wow, when you told your story, I just felt very moved. I don't, I don't personally feel that filthiness from you. I can feel that you feel it. And I also feel that and I resonate with that. And that makes me feel like I'm part of something and it makes me not feel alone. And it's like, you start to hear pieces of these stories. And again, vocabulary, like if you want to figure out what your trauma is, you need to go in search of the vocabulary for it. And not just the the verbal vocabulary, but the visceral vocabulary. And this is like something that I don't hear very many to- people talking about, but like all of our emotions have a frequency. And if you spent your entire life hiding from anger and then you feel anger in another person, it might make you angry. And it's like, we're looking for that energetic, like, response that another person has because we we can then match it you know like if if you get if somebody starts yelling at you what do you over time eventually like you it might take you months you could be the person that cowers and like does all this stuff but eventually if that person doesn't stop yelling they're gonna find your anger it's going to be somewhere and it doesn't matter how long it takes like it's just a frequency match and I literally learned this like in my last relationship with my ex who were like really great friends. He never, he's like, I've never yelled. I've never yelled at anyone. Like I yell at you. Like you make me so angry and it's cause I know anger so well. I knew what it looked like with my dad. I knew when it was coming, I knew how to match it. I knew how to get out of it. And it's like, it's, it's a, it's something that I used to leverage in our relationship trying to find love and validation. Right. And like for him, it was like, I, it didn't matter how far i needed to take it i was unconsciously looking for conflict and it had to come in the form of anger because that was what i was used to when i was a child and i would literally just poke and poke and poke until i found it mm-hmm. and then there's some people who know how to find it so well like some therapists who are so good at like having that inflection in their voice right when you start getting angry they know how to pull you into a state of like at least sadness or like something that's a different visceral experience and so that's kind of what i think about in, in regards to that
1: i um I know exactly. I mean, I grew up the same way and it was almost like an addiction in a relationship and like a dopamine hit that if things weren't, if things were too smooth, it was like, Oh, I got to find that. I got to get that, that rush or something. And when you're programmed like that, that's all, you know, I mean, that's all I knew growing up was fighting and every relationship was like, it would feel weird if there was everyone was getting along. It was like my parents were getting like, we needed a fight to like give us that like sense of reality and like so messed up. And like, I would look for that in relationship too. Now that's the last thing I want. Like I, it's
0: it's not that you want drama. It's that you can guarantee that the process of drama will lead to reconciliation, which feels a lot like love chemically, not even, I'm not even talking about like emotionally, like I'm talking about chemically, like, you know what it takes to release oxytocin and dopamine in your body. Even if you aren't aware that you know it, your brain knows what it is and it's going to trigger stimulus responses of like, do this, do this, do this. And like, that's why you have people all the time that are just like, I don't know why I behave this way. It's like, well, you're probably just looking for love.
1: Yeah. You know, you know what I was always interested in is like, this may be related. This may be not, but it's coming to me. So I want to bring it up is that, when i used to i moved away from my family a lot when i was younger and whenever i would go visit my mom or when i was in australia i visit my dad we would always get in a huge fight before we left before one of us we would separate for a while and (laughs) but then we you know we we'd end up crying and whatever but like it would always happen yeah why is that like what like, is the reason prove
0: you care before i leave like i need to know you care and i'm unconsciously willing to go to the fucked up places in order to prove that because yeah. if everything seems normal and then all of a sudden i leave and then what it, how, are you sure you love me before I leave? I need to know for sure that you love me. And the only way that I know how to do that and to be deeply validated is to do the thing that we've always done before, which is if we say a bunch of fucked up things to each other, then we have to apologize for those fucked up things and really validate one another for how much we care. And yeah. that validation process then becomes the thing that we're looking for. And like for me, what I do now, cause I'm literally, that is literally my inner child to a T it's like, let's yeah. go <laughs> Look for love. And now what I do is I just sit down and I just say, Hey, I can feel a lot of energy building yeah I feel like I'm what I'm looking for is not just to feel loved but I want to know that you love me as much as you loved me last week you remember when you bought me flowers and you came home and you just told me how grateful you were for me that provided a pretty extensive contrast and I felt really loved and seen and and like cared for in that moment and and although my perception could be, my perception has nothing to do with reality, you might love me exactly the same amount, you just didn't bring flowers and you didn't verbalize it. But there's a reason we want words of affirmation is because, like again, we're trying, to, we're, our ego like needs to be confirmed by it. Uh-huh. It's not enough to just be loved. We need to know that we're loved and we need to know it in these certain ways, right? and that's why like you have the peop- like why the book the five love languages is is a fucking it's a brilliant book because you're outlining that people like to be loved and validated in different ways which is based on mostly trauma response how they were loved and validated when they were children and now we're just trying to figure out how do we show up and love and validate our partners in healthy ways that doesn't end in like conflict and then resolution
1: mm. that book has come up twice now Ooh. i've heard that i need to have you I read need- it no
0: It's pretty good. Um, yeah,
1: I feel like I need to now though.
0: (laughs) And it shifts over time, by the way, like none of that stuff, like any of the, first of all, almost all the tests that people take for like the personality tests, all that stuff. I I, like even introvert extrovert, I really think is just, I think a lot of people think it's a trauma response. Um, and so with that, it like shifts like mine, mine definitely used to be words of affirmation always just because like I had a hard time with physical touch. Like I didn't care about quality time because I didn't, have the contrast to know like, Oh wow, this person's so present with me. Like this is real, this feels really like love. I didn't have that. My dad was never present. He was super anxious. My mom, she was really present, but like, again, I felt like a burden to her. So I didn't have that contrast. Um, And like now I would say, it goes back and forth, like quality time and physical touch. Definitely my first two ones. Like, I don't necessarily need you to say anything to me, but I definitely want you to eye gaze with me and like, look me in the eyes when you tell me compliments and like when we're being intimate. And, and I also really want physical touch. Like you could, you could be the partner that comes home every day and just says, Oh, I love you so much. And just feed me with words from across the room. But I just want your hands on my body. Uh, You know what I mean? I want to feel, your
1: energy.
0: you know? And then there's other times where like, if somebody does an act of service for me, it's like, oh my God, thank you so much. But for the most part, in my last relationship, acts of service was like his number one and it's my last one. So he would do shit for me all the time and I just wouldn't really notice or like it was like I didn't see the importance of it because I didn't value that love language the way that I value physical touch, right? Mm. And so then you can see like how, how that would cause conflict, <laughs> like, well...
1: Cause it's so easy as well to just say, Oh, I love you. I love you. And, and, but it's, it's, that doesn't mean you love them. It's not, you got to show them, right? Like for my last relationship, there was a lot of, I love you was going around and we thought, I think we thought we did, but towards the end it was like, well, if we like, if you don't show the person like, and doing the things that, where am I even going with this? Like actually showing like things to help, like that, you, the other person cares about, like the attention to detail or like caring about things they care about. And like, I personally, I don't care if you say I love you, but if you show me in things you really notice the small things and you like take interest, I fucking know you love me because you're showing it. I don't need you to say it. Like, don't even say it because it doesn't, words are just bullshit if you don't back it. It's just like if people that post motivational quotes all the time and don't actually take any action it's totally shit, you know? Yeah.
0: And like, for me, words of validate words of affirmation used to be one of my most important until I got a community. And now I really don't even need my partner to tell me anything great about myself because I have so many beautiful people in my life that are constantly filling that cup for me. I don't necessarily have a lot of people in my my life that are doing like acts of service for me or quality time or physical touch. And so that's why it shifts all the time, you know? And I think like being aware of One, it's good to have a love language, but if your love language is really based on the fact that it's, that's the only person in your whole life that can give you those things. Now you're going to want that from them all the time. And they're now responsible for always being the one that provides that for you. And I don't think it's ever fair to have one person that's responsible for filling your words of affirmation cup or your physical touch cup. And so like having a lot of people in your life and like pillars in your life that can provide that exchange for you is a, is a really healthy way to like, when you're saying like, how do you heal trauma? It's like, if you have trauma, you need a lot of contrast. You need a lot of mirrors around you. You need a lot of people that are able to fill your cup. Um, if that's something that, you know, you're in a place to do for sure. Mm.
1: Yeah. And it's even learning that you need to fill your cup. Like (laughs) it's even having just the self-awareness to start. And the self work. yeah the self-worth that what you're actually doing isn't serving your your soul you know and so many people just don't even i feel so grateful to even have the self-awareness to even know to how to even have this conversation about this majority of people don't don't this would they don't even have a close to a conversation they talk about surface level things and i just feel sorry for them like not in like a condescending way but it's like Man, like having the ability and the self-awareness to actually find out who you are and yeah. go through the shit is just such a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful that because we only have this human, human experience for a certain period of time in this dimension, right? It's like yeah. you might as well get to the bottom of it and make the most of it. And I'm realizing now like we're able to create shit and it, our creations come from how we feel. You know what the energy we put out, the people, the things. I've seen it in my own life that what comes into your life is a reflection of who you are not what you think or what you want totally. so important and and to be able to unpack that and get ugly and feel shitty and feel emotion good and the bad is just like such a blessing you know
0: yeah i mean absolutely like we we have we give ourselves the opportunity to do the healing work and i say like there's there's bliss at every level of ignorance for sure if you're looking yeah. for it and the truth of it is like if you, if you can't be happy when it's a shit storm ever, you're going to get to a place where there's no shit storm and you recognize a shit storm was never what was making you unhappy. And that's for, for the most part, what I feel like is truth across the board. I know lots of people whose lives are fucked up and I look at it and I'm like, yo, the way that you handle what you're experiencing is very admirable because it sucks. Like I have, I have, I had clients last year, you know, that, they have like five kids and they're like going through like having five kids they're like trying to leave kind of leave the Mormon church but that's their entire community their entire backbone socially like they know that their five kids will not be able to hang out with the other kids but they're feeling like they want to honor their beliefs and where they're transitioning to and it's like now they're going into quarantine and like wow Mm -hmm. like that's hard and it's like they could be depressed but so could the person who's sitting on a yacht you know And so I do think like just knowing that there the the bliss doesn't have anything to do with um, the necessarily scenario. And now again, again, if you're chained in a basement right now, not listening to this podcast, then then I'm I'm not speaking for you. I'm not speaking for the fact that like you might not be experiencing literally any bliss whatsoever because you don't even have, the ability to but you also read like all these crazy stories about people who went through like like the nazi concentration camps and they yeah. wrote poetry and they wrote love letters and they literally found a way to survive to find their spouse and it's like that's incredible and that's yeah. that's the opportunity that we have every single day regardless of the trauma and all the things we have experienced like all of that stuff all that stuff like work on yourself do the self-healing blah 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 blah. at the end of the day like happiness in the small micro things is always a choice.
1: Totally, your reaction. You can control how you react, right? You you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond. Yeah, and even if that's something
0: that's fucked up, you can control just the fact that, like, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna take time to like separate myself from this thing and just like look at this flower, Mm. you know, or look down at my skin. Like I always give people the example of like, you walked outside in your front yard and there was a spaceship. You would be like, holy shit. I have a spaceship and you would literally spend all day cleaning the spaceship, looking at it at every single detail it would be like the most exciting thing ever. It's not until you walk outside and see that your neighbor also has a spaceship and it's a little bit bigger and maybe a little bit newer that you're like, fuck this spaceship. <laughs> and that sucks. It sucks so yeah. bad. Like it doesn't change the fact that you're a spaceship and it doesn't, it doesn't matter like what you've been through. Like you're a spaceship. It doesn't matter how many people like you, you're a spaceship. Like where our bodies are fucking miracles. And That's, you know, that's, it's hard. It doesn't matter if you're 50 pounds overweight or 500 pounds overweight, your body is literally a spaceship. If you're 500 pounds overweight and you're still alive and kicking and like you can experience life, you're definitely a fucking spaceship and you're experiencing like the miracle of what life is in itself.
1: I just completely had a realization. I have go through that when, even when I started a podcast, when I have a podcast, it's so easy to be like, fuck this. Joe Rogan's is more successful. Aubrey Marcus is Lewis, but it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it's like that with everything. It's like what you have is, is what you have and nobody can take that away from You're you. You're an artist. Yeah. It's like, it's so easy to worry about everybody else, but they're not you. Yeah. What they're doing isn't you. It's like, yeah, Starbucks has a coffee shop, but there's also a millions of coffee shops that people like more than that. That may be a popular one for that, that person. Yeah. Or those people, but there's millions of the same thing, essentially. It's the uniqueness that people like, It goes
0: back to the masculine feminine thing. You can start a podcast and if every single day you're like, fuck this podcast, I got to make this bigger and better, you might get to where you're literally above Joe Rogan, but you never had the time to enjoy the creative process. And so therefore- honestly, fuck that podcast. It sucks. It sucks because you're unhappy and you're, you know, you're not being able to be in your artistry. And then you can have somebody who has never even had a single viewer and they just love, they just love the process. They're like, I have all my friends on here. (sighs) We've had great conversations. It's been a good time. Boom.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so fucking true. Wow. If, um, We got to look at wrapping it up here. This is time flies. If if people want to work with you, walk us through what you're working on and how they can find you and connect with you.
0: Yeah. So I'm working on a, a few different projects, but all of them are under the category of self healing. So first and foremost, I have a mastermind group. It's a self healers mastermind. It's a year long program. People can enter in um, for, for the entire year, or they can come in just for quarters of it, kind of like we have for Fit for Service. And we go through a lot of different like weekly challenges, weekly group discussions. I host two workshops every single month that's included for them. And a lot of those will be on the quarterly topics. Um, and then that the second one, so the one that I have right now is full and it's already started. And then I have a wait list that will go out every couple of months for the next round. And that wait list, you can just go to thealpusproject.com, which I'm sure you'll link, and you can get Mm -hmm. on that. Um, And that'll start in the middle of of the summer. And then I'm also working on a couple of, like, docu-series stuff. So one of them is going to be around, like, the treatment of sexual trauma and just how we're really trying to change the way that uh, Western medicine sees sexual trauma because, like, talk therapy and rape kits are just, like, really not cutting it. We need to look at, like, the more well-rounded understanding of not only the physical body and the emotional body, but also the energetic body and what it actually does You know through like different concepts like chinese medicine is like so much more well-rounded than western medicine when it comes to treating symptoms Mm. um and so we're going to be doing um, where we're moving from city to city and we're actually treating women through acupuncture and really beautiful guided uh, meridian massages and um, doing some internal work on women as well and also we're treating men but it's more there's more women that are coming out with the story that we're going to be sharing um so that's one thing we're doing and releasing like a sacred sexuality workshop and course alongside that And then I just host workshops and in-person retreats. So I have a a retreat that's going to be going out um, pretty soon. It'll be on my website as well. And that's going to be in Tulum. And then we'll do a couple local ones like out in the kind of Los Angeles, San Diego area and collaborations. So that's pretty much it. All things self-healing, whether that's inner child work, conscious relationship work, sexuality work. Those are going to be kind of the things you're going to see me doing this year. Killing it. Killing yeah, it. and That's I do awesome. one-on-one coaching as well, but I don't take very many clients, so it's just kind of like hit or miss. Boom. Yeah.
1: Awesome. We'll have that all in the show notes, and yeah, this is you're you got some great insight, and I always enjoy when we talk because you know you're doing great things and you know helping a lot of people, and it's only going to continue to do so. So I'm you yeah. know super grateful to have you come on. So thank you so much, Adrian.
0: Thank you so much, Lance. I really appreciate the opportunity just to share some of the the experiences that myself and my community are having um, on this platform. So I really appreciate you.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you as well. So to go away with our last question that I always ask, um, out of all the things, the traumas, the adversities, the challenges, what's the number one lesson that adversity has taught you?
0: I think the number one lesson that adversity has taught me is that when I can find out like adversity is only there because I have attachments to how things actually happen. And that the second that I can recognize that adversity with attachments is fucking hell. And that adversity with like just completely surrendering to the process and just allowing things to flow is one of the most magical rides of your life. Um, And you will never, ever, ever be able to to create a life better than the one that your higher self and that you're the the God inside of yourself and the versions of yourself that are, that do not exist on a, on a linear timeline could create for you because they know things you don't know. And so that for me is, is when I think about the idea of adversity, it's like when I'm in it, I have a choice of like, how attached can I be? That shit's painful. All of the attachments I have, all the cords, they're going to get ripped out and it's going to hurt. Or it can be like, ooh, I'm going through this thing and, like, fuck, this hurts so bad right now, but, like, what's going to happen because of this? Like, building my capacity, building my space, like, being able to, like, understand the world greater and have more compassion. Like, who the fuck will I be when I have all those resources and all of those tools? So I think adversity is such a a great thing. Like, if I had, like, a toolbox full of tools, self-healing tools and all the things I was going to use in life to make my life more abundant, the top of it would say, like, adversity.
1: Love it. That's such a good, (laughs) that was so awesome. Every single answer is different out of 200 people. That's what I love is like, it's, it's so, it's so, it's so important to just understand what adversity is. And that was such a beautiful way. So thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. You guys can leave us a review on Apple. we greatly be greatly appreciated. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button, it's all free. And most importantly, thank you for coming and hanging out today. Love you guys. Have a great day. Catch you next time.